Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. Good morning. Anybody glad to be at church this morning? Man, thanks to you. Thanks to Pastor uh, to Mark. Mark would not be happy if I called him Pastor. He, I think that's part of his uh, calling in life that God is working on him. Uh, Mark Thomas, our, mu- our music arts director, but thank you to him and our music arts team. That was an incredible time of worship this morning. I'm excited because the weather is a lot nicer than we expected it, right? If you don't know, yeah, that's a reason, thank God. We were here Friday night filming a very short, abbreviated online worship gathering just in case we weren't able to do this. And so I am very thankful that we are here, that we're able to uh, be together worshiping the Lord together, opening up God's Word this morning. We are continuing our series in the book of Romans called Gospel Conversations. And if I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And at the beginning of 2019, we kicked off a brand new two-year ministry vision called Anticipate. And a part of Anticipate were three primary focuses that we are working toward over these next two years. Future impact, future generations, and future churches. I want to encourage you, if you're new to Vintage, there's a couple ways that you can learn about this initiative. Number one, out in our lobby, we have these little booklets. These little booklets will give you all of the information about what this two-year ministry vision looks like. You can also go online to anticipate nola.com and you can learn about that initiative but as a part of that initiative we are focused over these next two years on gospel conversations gospel conversations are conversations that you and i are having that are helping people take one at least one next step toward following jesus and this tank represents all of the gospel conversations that we have had up to from January up to today. And we talked last week about that ping pong ball and praying for your one. Who's the one that God has put in your life that you can begin to share and have gospel conversations with? And last week, what we talked about was the puzzle, right? We shared that puzzle that you just saw where you're beginning to put all of those pieces together. And gospel conversations or coming to faith in Jesus is a lot like putting a puzzle together. You start out with all of these puzzle pieces and you have no idea where every single piece fits. And as you begin to put it together, right, where do you start first in a puzzle? The corners, right? The edges, right? Because you know that's, you know, the edge is straight. You at least know that's going to be on the outside of it. And you begin to put the puzzle together. You begin to have gospel conversations, bringing all of the pieces together. The middle begins to get formed. You're beginning to see the picture. And as you're doing that, you come to a moment where there's only one piece left, Now, for you and I, this is what is so significant about this, right? If you are searching for Jesus or you're having conversations with people about Jesus, you have no idea where 
the next puzzle piece is or where it's going. You don't know which puzzle piece you have in your hand. You don't know how many more conversations you need to have, how many more times you need to hear the gospel. But here's the thing about a puzzle. Here's the thing about gospel conversations. It comes down to one final piece. Could be the very last conversation that you have, the very last conversation that you hear about the gospel, and that puzzle piece goes in and the puzzle is completed. And what we have been looking at is how the elements, how we have gospel conversations, what the gospel looks like in our lives, how we take it, how we apply it in our lives, but also then how we go and share that exact same message with those that God has put in our place. Last week, we talked about how the gospel begins in Romans 1. Romans 1, verses 16 through 17. It's the thesis of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to that church. And he basically says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power to save for the Jew and the Gentile, meaning Jesus has come that all people, all people would know God and be reconciled to God. And so last week we talked about God's design, how in the beginning God created everything and it was perfect, but sin entered our world and now you and I, every single human on the face of this planet is broken and sinful before God. This week we're going to be in Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. We'd love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. If you're new to the Bible, if you kind of turn toward the back, you're going to find the New Testament and a few books in. There's the book of Romans. It's a letter written from a follower of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, to a church that he has never visited before. And he's writing, kind of giving them some, some common ground where they stand and they agree on that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says in these few verses, Romans 3, 21 through 26. He writes this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now what we're looking at, right, because last week we talked about God's design and sin. If you go back and you look at the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, what you are going to find is Paul lays out an argument as to why every single one of us are broken, sinful people before the Lord. And the reason that he does that is because he's now, in, in chapter 3 into chapter 4 and 5, going to lay out an argument for what the answer is to our sinfulness. And the answer is what he alludes to in Romans 1, the gospel of 
Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about how the gospel story begins. What I want to answer today is how does the gospel story continue? From Romans 3, how does the gospel story continue? The first thing that we see this is we see our brokenness. Look at verses 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we're going to unpack a lot of that because there's a lot going on in these three verses. So what is our brokenness? So if we are broken, if the gospel story continues to demonstrate not only that we're sinful, but it leads to our brokenness, what does it mean to be broken? Our brokenness is, number one, this. It's prior to Jesus. It's prior to Jesus. Look at what Paul says. There's two very important words at the beginning of this little passage. But now. Just two very small words that are so important to this passage. The but now has logical, chronological, and eschatological meaning. Everybody say eschatological. One, two, three. Impressive. Use that this week in your vocabulary and see what people say to you. Right? The fact that it's logical. What did I just say? Romans 1 through 2 is all about brokenness and all about our sin. Romans 3 begins to bring the gospel in. So what Paul is saying, it's a logical step in his argument. That you are broken and sinful people, but now. It's also a chronological, because Paul is recognizing that the Romans have come to faith in Jesus. So before Jesus, you were sinful people, but now. And then it's eschatological, because the way that the Bible divides time is before the coming of Jesus and after the coming of Jesus, that the time is literally divided. If, you, are you, if you're from New Orleans or if you've lived in New Orleans any amount of time, right, people divide time in the city. Bef- you all know where I'm going, right? Before Katrina, after Katrina. In just the same way that our city thinks about time like that, it's the same way that the Bible speaks about time. What Paul is saying, but now, yes, in my argument, yes, in your life, but now things are different, not because of our sin, but because of what God has done for our sin in sending Jesus. Prior to Jesus, you and I are lost in sin and brokenness. The idea of brokenness, right, is that we know that we're broken. Think about your life, think about the people that you are involved in, that you engage life with, right? We know that something is wrong. We recognize that. And in our brokenness, what we try to do is find as many different ways to fix that brokenness as we possibly can. But what Paul is saying is that the answer to our brokenness comes in Jesus. An important theme in the book of Romans, and that's important here, that you probably saw four or five times. In in five to six verses, Paul references the righteousness of God over and over again. It's a central theme in the entire book of Romans. 
And when Paul talks about the righteousness of God, scholars are kind of divided, really, as to what it, what it absolutely means. But I think all three of these meanings are caught up in what Paul is trying to say. Number one, the righteousness of God is an attribute of God. Part of it, understanding it is just recognizing that God is himself righteous, right? What does it mean to be righteous? What's in the word righteous? Right, right? So if you're righteous, you're right and not wrong. You're just and not immoral. And so it's part of who God is. But the righteousness of God, because of his identity, is also wrapped up in his activity. The fact that God is righteous leads him to come to our rescue. And that's part of what Paul is saying here. The righteousness of God leads him to send Jesus and save us from our brokenness. But it's also his achievement. We're going to look at this in just a little bit. But part of the righteousness of God is that God himself bestows on us his righteousness. When we are made right, we are given God's righteousness. Why? Because you and I, in and of ourselves, we do not have our own righteousness. We're broken, sinful people. And so that whole idea of the righteousness of God, it's caught up in this entire passage. I mean, if you go and you look at the end of uh, verse 26... It was to show his, that's God's righteousness, at the present time so that he might be what? Just and the justifier. That he might be righteous and the one who makes righteous. See, everything about our brokenness in the gospel is caught up in the fact that God is righteous. Paul says that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Prior to the coming of Jesus, right, God gave his Ten Commandments. He gave his law to the people of Israel. Why? That they might know who God is and that they might follow God. But now what Paul is saying is while God demonstrated and showed his righteousness to us through his law, it's now been manifested or displayed apart from the law. What does he mean? It's going back to the gospel. The righteousness of God has now been displayed through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We know who God is and what God has done because of what he did through Jesus. And so our brokenness is prior to Jesus. When Jesus came and when we trust in him, our brokenness is healed, but our brokenness is also this. It's impossible to self-heal. It's impossible to self-heal, right? In our world, I mean, think about your own life. Think about the people that you know in your life, right? In our world, we try to fix our brokenness through being a good person, through being a religious person, through having fun, through relationships, through sex, through drugs, through alcohol, you name it, any other way to try and to heal our brokenness is outside of what God wants for you and I. Because the only answer to our brokenness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is impossible for you and I to heal our brokenness in and of our own power. That's what Paul means when he talks about the righteousness of God being manifested apart from the law. Prior to Jesus, God sent the law, and part of 
the point of the law was to demonstrate who God was and what he expected of you and I. Right? Because God is righteous, I, this is what we do know. Because God is righteous, God expects us to be righteous. That's how he created us. But what the law did was it demonstrated to you and I how unrighteous we actually are. And so when we see the law and we look at the law, we recognize that we can't uphold the law in and of our own power. Therefore, we recognize that it is impossible to self-heal our brokenness. So our brokenness is prior to Jesus. It's impossible to self-heal. And the last thing that I want you to see is this. It's inclusive of all. Romans 3.23, look at what Paul says. He says, there is no distinction at the end of verse 22. For who? For who? For who? Okay, one more time. Everybody in unison. For who? There we go. For all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what Paul is getting at in this passage in, in the book of Romans, remember, the gospel came from Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, right? Jesus was the Messiah to the Jewish people. The first Christians were Jewish Christians. But the church at Rome is primarily made up of Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. And what Paul is trying to say here is, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your background is. Whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, you are broken and sinful and therefore separated from God. doesn't matter who you are. Every single person outside of Jesus is sinful and therefore broken. And Paul gets at why we have this brokenness. He says, for all have sinned and do what? Fall short of the glory of God. Two important elements to this. Number one, that we have fallen short at the fall. In Genesis 3, we talked about it last week. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and because they ate of the fruit, sin entered our world. And so part of the glory in which God created us, in which we are to pursue, is lost because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But because we have a sinful nature and we have sin in our lives and commit sin, there's an element at which we aren't able to reach the glory at which God created for us. And so every single one of us are broken, sinful people. All of that, part is, that's part of what Paul has been trying to show for the last three chapters in the book of Romans. That when we look at the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, we recognize that while God didn't create the world like this, in God's design, everything was perfect and humanity lived in right relationship with God. Sin entered the world and because of our sin, we are broken people. Listen, if, if you're searching or seeking for God, there's no way to get to God without first recognizing your sin and brokenness. 
There's absolutely no way. There's no way to say, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. Because listen, if you're not sinful and broken, if you think you're not that bad of a person, then you have absolutely nothing to be saved from. And the whole reason that God sent Jesus, his son, was to save us from something. But if you're honest with yourself, like we've already talked about, we all recognize in some form or fashion that we are sinful, broken people. You, me, everyone. And so we come to this place where we recognize that because we're broken, because we're sinful people, when we look around and we try to figure out the answer to our brokenness, as we pursue all of those other things, we recognize those things do not fix our brokenness. So rather than chase after all of the things that we think might fix our brokenness, why not look to God and ask God, God, what is the answer to our brokenness? And that's what Paul gets at next. The answer to our brokenness, the way the gospel story continues, is with the gospel itself. Look at verses 24 through 26. Now don't forget what Paul has said in verse 23, into 22, 23. There's no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every single person. But guess what? Verse 24, and what Paul's referring to, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Another vocabulary word you can use this week, right? By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The gospel is the answer to our brokenness. How is it the answer to our brokenness? Number one, the gospel provides our unmerited justification. Our unmerited justification. What does that mean? What does justification mean? One theologian describes justification like this. It's a mighty act of God by which he declares sinful people not guilty, but righteous. Remember, who's righteous? Who's righteous? God is righteous. So it's a mighty act of God by which God declares sinful people not guilty, but righteous instead. Now, why is that important? Because you and I, we just said this, right? We're sinful, broken people. There's no way for you and I to fix ourselves. The only way in which we will be made right with God is for God to make a way. And so we are made righteous by God. It's like this. I mean, the whole the language of justification in the, in the New Testament is a courtroom analogy. That's what Paul is using. When, so when he uses that word, the readers of the book of Romans are thinking about the courtroom. So think about going into court and you know you're guilty for something. And the judge looking at you and declaring you innocent despite being guilty of the crime. That's what it means to be justified. That even though you are guilty of the crime, God looks at you and slams the gavel and says innocent. And the reason 
that we are innocent is because of Christ, which is why the gospel is unmerited justification. That means there is absolutely nothing, hear me out, nothing that you can do, will do, to earn God's righteousness. It is what Christ has done on your behalf. Is that not good news? Because <laughs> I can promise you, you and I are going to jack some things up. We already have. And it's like, you know, you get in trouble and you're thinking, man, I got this shovel in my hand. I'll just dig my way out. And you just keep digging and digging and digging. And before you know it, you're in this hole that you can't get out of. And the good news of Jesus Christ is reminding us that we have been declared innocent and there's nothing that we have done to earn that innocence. Which is why Paul says, right, he talks about and are justified by his grace as a gift. What he's, what he's talking about there, grace is a gift. You don't earn grace. It's getting what you don't deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's a gift that you can't earn. So the gospel provides our unmerited justification. Number two, this is a, this, these points are a sentence. So the gospel provides our unmerited justification through costly redemption through costly redemption look at what paul says so we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus all of these words that paul is using these words have different analogies and images that go with them so the word redemption in the new testament in the greek world it was a commercial term it would, have been the, it would have been a word that you would have used when you were going shopping. You would go down to the, the marketplace. And the idea of redemption is that it's a commercial term used to describe the act of buying slaves to set them free. So the image is Paul is saying, you, listen, you are enslaved to sin. There's nothing you can do. You're broken and sinful. There's nothing you can do to get yourself out of it. Jesus paid a high cost to free you from the slavery of sin. You're free. That's the message that Paul is trying to get to them. And listen, it's costly because someone had to pay for the redemption. Right? I mean, there, there are people, we, we ask these questions, right? I mean, why couldn't God just forgive us? Why couldn't it just be like, you know what, you're forgiven? And I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer to that question, except God said that there was something, a penalty to be paid for our sin. And Christ went to the cross and gave up his life, in my opinion, the most costly of gifts, that we might have life that we might be freed, that we might be forgiven. Think about, a, think about a gift. You know, it's when something is costly, it means it's worth something. Right? I mean, think about all the stuff you throw away and then think about all of the things that you treasure and you keep. It could be, number one, that like you paid a lot of money for it, Right? and it's costly to you, or it costs somebody else something. You know what I've always wanted to do? 
I've always wanted to just, this is going to sound terrible, just go and go crazy with my car, you know, hitting people and just, you know, seeing what happens, you know. Why am I not going to do that? Well, number one, I don't want to hurt people, right? It's like uh, demolition derby, right? I just, I want to do that, but legally. So I don't want to hurt people. I pay for my car, right? I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have to pay for a car, right? It's a costly thing. The gospel, the unmerited justification that you and I have came through costly redemption. Jesus paid a price. So the gospel provides our unmerited justification through costly redemption by the death of Jesus. Look at what Paul says. It was through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So Jesus paid our penalty by his death on the cross. And all of that, the language that Paul is using and the imagery of the cross goes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, which might be completely we might be completely oblivious to what the Old Testament sacrificial system looked like, but it was so important to the Jews who were living in the day. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, the temple in Jerusalem was still active. People were still bringing animals to be sacrificed. And the animals were brought so that God's wrath, God's, number one, that our sin would be removed, and number two, that God's wrath would be removed. And that's the argument that Paul is making here. One word that's important for you to understand is expiation. Theological word, another vocabulary. You're getting all kinds of vocabulary words this week, huh? Expiation. It's where Christ's death removed the sin and guilt that separated God from humanity. So when Christ went to the cross and died on the cross... His death on the cross removed our sin and our guilt. But what Paul is referring to is not just the removal of our sin and guilt, but also propitiation. Propitiation is where Christ's death removed the wrath of God against sinners. So the fact that Christ's sacrifice on the cross removed our sin then provided a way in which God's wrath against our sin could be removed. Why is God wrathful against our sin? Because he is righteous. He's holy, he's perfect, and we are not. And so what Paul is saying here is that the redemption that you and I have, because we have justification, grace that we've not received, and because we've been bought by Christ, all of that happened by the death of Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 9.22, the writer of Hebrews says this about sacrifice. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So whether we like it or not, in God's economy, in God's world, in order for sin to be taken care of, in order for it to be removed, and the wrath of God removed, someone had to die for our sin. And rather than go and sacrifice animal after animal after animal, Jesus, who was fully God, which meant he was what? Righteous. And yet fully human, which meant what? That he could stand in our place. 
It was Jesus who went to the cross that we might receive our unmerited justification, that we may, might be made right with God. So the gospel provides our unmerited justification through costly redemption by the death of Jesus when we believe. You see what Paul says at the very end of verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Salvation is by faith, not works. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Do you, you recognize, it doesn't matter how many times you step foot in this building. God doesn't love you any more or any less because you're here. It doesn't matter how many good works you perform. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you pray. It doesn't matter how many laws you haven't broke. God loves you simply because he created you and sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. That's good news for you and I. Some of you are very difficult to love. <laughs> I can tell you, I'm not going to ask my wife to come up here because it's not good news for me. I'm not easy to love. We're not easy people to love. But God loves us. And his love for us is not shallow or wishy-washy. I mean, God went to great lengths to demonstrate his love for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so for you and I, it's not about working that we might receive this unmerited justification and this costly redemption by the death of Jesus. It's simply believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we receive the unmerited justification that Paul is talking about. One commentator and pastor says it like this. He says, the value of faith, and this is so important, the value of faith is not to be found in itself, but entirely and exclusively in its object, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't matter that you believe or that you have incredible faith. The point is whom you have faith in, that you have faith in Jesus Christ to redeem you and save you from your sin and brokenness. And listen, faith is more than mere belief. Another way to think about faith is, yes, there is a belief component. There is a cognitive component to belief, right? Because there's something within you that you have to know and believe the truth of the gospel. You have to know the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That's truth you need to know. But belief or faith is also trust, it's relational, right? Part of because of what you believe about the gospel means your life looks different. You trust God. If you really trust and believe in something, it's going to change how you live your life. And it's also more than just belief. It's also fidelity. It's obedience. 
We're trusting God, and because we're trusting God, we are listening to God and being obedient to who he is and what he wants for us. That's what faith is. I mean, there's a reason, right? I just said, what did I just say? I just said that you're not earning God's love by being here, by reading your Bible, by prayer. We just did an entire series encouraging you to come to church, to read your Bible, to pray, and be in community, right? So what in the world am I talking about? You're not earning your salvation by doing all of those things, right? You're justified by God's grace alone and faith in, in Christ alone and by faith alone. But you demonstrate your love for God by your obedience to him. And when you trust God, you begin to do those things. And guess what? When you do those things, your trust in God increases. I just said, anytime you believe in anything, right, you share that thing. Anybody watched Stranger, uh, Stranger Things Season 3? How many of you have been talking about it? Well, to certain people, right, because you don't want to spill. Did you see the very last post-credit scene? Did everybody catch that? The American? I'm not giving anything up. I'm just saying, right? I just, I watched all of that a couple of weeks ago, right? And guess what? Anytime anybody said anything about Stranger Things, guess what I did? I was ready to talk about it because I had seen it, right? Listen, the gospel, tell me, please tell me, the gospel is better news than Stranger Things. Is it not? And so why would we not have better things to talk about than the products that we love, the shows that we watch, the music that we listen to? And that's the whole point. Part of our obedience to God is not just receiving the gospel, trusting and believing in it in and of our own selves and believing that Christ came and died for us, but then going and sharing that gospel. And that's what Paul, listen, next week, that's what Paul's going to get to in the back half of Romans. If God has done this for you, if he sent your, his son Jesus to save you, then you go and tell. Because there are other people in our world, in your life, that have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And they need it. Because you were sinful and broken and God saved you and you heard about that gospel who else is sinful and broken that needs that gospel which is why we've been talking over and over and over and over again about gospel conversations in the three circles tool and i, I literally i just want to close our time walking through this three circles because i think it's such an applicable tool for every single one of us we've got some booklets out there in the lobby if you're interested at our resource center that has this uh, resource in it for you. Also, if you go online and you Google three circles, uh, three circles tool or guide, you're going to find it. It's on our website. But I mean, this is, this is what we've been talking about. And this in a nutshell is the gospel, right? God's design. In the beginning, God created everything. It was perfect. But we sinned. We disobeyed God. Because of our sin, we're broken people, right? Our brokenness leads us to search for answers and ways to fix our brokenness, which is all the squiggly arrows. But the only answer to our brokenness is the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about repent and believe and recover and pursue because the way that we respond to the gospel 
is to repent and believe, to recognize that we are sinful, broken people, and so we turn away. That's what the word repent means, to turn. We turn away from our sin and in faith trust Jesus. Trust the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we do that, we recover and pursue God's design. We begin to live life the way that God fully intended it to be. That's the good news of Jesus. And for listen, for some of us in this room, we need this message. Because we've never trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. But for every single one of us in this room, this is a message that we need to be sharing. I've not gone through all of these elements of the gospel over the last two weeks that you know how to preach for 70 minutes on the gospel of Jesus. But what I have done is tried to unpack and go deep into the elements of this gospel presentation so that you know for yourself and so that you can answer questions when people have those questions. Because every single person in our lives need this message. So the question's for you and I is how will we respond? And I want to encourage you two ways, just like we talked about last week, but are still true for us. Number one, believe the gospel. You've heard about your sin and brokenness and God's answer to the gospel. Some of us just simply need to believe in that gospel, to do what the Bible says, to repent of our sins and in faith trust Jesus. Secondly, share the gospel. Last week, we talked about who is your one, and we prayed for our one. And still, some of you might need to be praying for your one. But this week, I want to encourage you to share with your one, to take that three circles tool or to have those gospel conversations with people. Find a time and a moment where you're able to then share the gospel with somebody this week. Pastor Brick talked about our, our last summer hangs that we're doing with snowballs and bounce houses. Every Sunday, listen, every Sunday is a great opportunity to invite, but some Sundays are better than others. And that's a great opportunity on the 28th to invite someone to just check out Vintage, to help someone take a next step to follow Jesus. The gospel's laid out for you. The question that you have to ask yourself is how Will you respond? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That though guilty, we might be declared innocent by the death of Jesus on the cross. And Father, in this moment, Father, I pray that you would help us respond to the gospel. For some of, this morning, for some of us this morning, it means trusting in the gospel for the very first time. For some of us this morning, it means beginning to pray for and plan to share the gospel with somebody else this week. So whatever it is, God, this morning, help us respond to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray.
Amen.